Good morning, everybody. Um, I am up this morning to introduce to you Gary and Karen Sjogren. They are uh, among our missionaries that we support from Grace Bible Church. Uh, Gary uh, was a student at Biblical Seminary uh, back in the day. Uh, back in the day. And uh, uh, left from there and ended up uh, doing some graduate work in uh, Scotland and then returned and uh, uh, taught at Biblical for Eight years. All right. Uh, and then felt, uh, he and Karen felt called to a ministry in Costa Rica that uh, we're excited about. Uh, it's training uh, people from Central America and uh, that area of the world for gospel ministry. And then he's had some very exciting opportunities to teach also in Cuba. So uh, we're very pleased with their ministry and glad to welcome Gary and Karen here today. So uh, I'll invite you up right away, Gary. And uh, Karen, we'll hear from you after a bit. Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. Good morning. It's great to be uh, up here, and uh, uh, in fact, we lived in Quakertown for eight years, so uh, we're, we're in our home territory. Uh, I'm going to share about my ministry. Karen's going to share about hers, but uh, let, me, let me just mention one thing here, a little observation from this morning, and that is I had a little bit of a spark of nostalgia coming in seeing all the VBS things set up. Uh, so that's one end, and then the other thing was that we sang Fairest Lord Jesus. And I know Fairest Lord Jesus by heart. I could sing it with my eyes closed, because when I was about seven, that was the hymn we memorized in VBS. Uh, so this was you know, something that has stayed with me. Um, and I think uh, both Karen and I, even before we met, we must have been teenagers, we both had taught in VBS in our churches. I'm in New England, Karen is down near Philadelphia. We had both taught Sunday school, I think, and we had both taught in Awana up in Quakertown. So we believe very strongly in the power of children's ministry. And uh, thank you, Emily, for, for all that you're doing, and of course, for the rest of the team that is, uh, that is working here. Um, you know, and I, I'd especially recommend to, to teenagers, high school or junior high people, um, if you think, well, I'm getting a little bit too old for VBS, pour back in, okay, to the smaller children. Even if you're just bringing the cookies and setting them out, cookies and punch or whatever it is you do, that is ministry uh, to, to the little ones of the flock, and it's entirely worthwhile. Well, um, I'm Gary Shogren. My wife is going to speak in a few minutes, and then I'll come back up and speak. Uh, we have been in Costa Rica for 23 years now. And when we left here to go to Costa Rica, I knew about enough Spanish to go into a bread store and say, bread, please, thank you, gracias, uh, hasta luego, and that's about it. 
So um, at age 40, I had to learn Spanish from the ground up. And so we've been, both been teaching in Spanish ever since. This was, um, this is where Costa Rica is. We live in the city. This is uh, San Jose, the capital on the, on the right, the downtown. We live kind of out toward the suburbs. Costa Rica is part of the uh, Central American Isthmus. So sometimes people say, well, what do you, what's it like here in Costa Rica? What's it like living on an island? And our response always is, well, I'm sure it's pretty cool. Uh, but they're thinking of Puerto Rico, of course, and it's an easy name to, to confuse. Costa Rica is uh, just, if, if you're in Mexico, just keep driving, 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 driving. If you see the Panama Canal, turn around and go back about 300 miles. You, you've gone too far, okay? Uh, or if it's a dirt road or something, you've gone way too far. So this is where we've been, a country of about five million. And I can, uh, all Spanish speaking, and I can say that uh, we've had some very, very good news this week. Karen and I only came up to the States in April so that we could get vaccinated because we couldn't get vaccinated in Costa Rica even though we were extraordinarily high risk. And we just got word about a week ago that the U.S. had donated 500,000 vaccinations to Costa Rica. And on Friday, they threw it open to everybody over 40. Just walk on in and get, get your shot. So uh, out of 5 million people, about 500,000 people are now able to get uh, their shots. And especially the elderly and frontline workers are, are lining right up. So this is where we live. And the next, please. So this is, uh, this is what we looked like when we left. Uh, our... Um, our little daughter, Victoria, was five years old. We had four small children, and the boys were uh, 8, 10, and 12 when we left for Costa Rica. And when we were doing our original fundraising, we took all four children to all the churches every weekend for about a year and a half, two years, um, uh, to, to raise support for our work. So just to give you an idea of where we are today, um, little Victoria... Uh, is uh, now, well, she's a redhead, but it's not natural. Okay, I can just tell you that. Um, this was our family just a couple of weeks ago. Victoria, little Vicky, is now Dr. Victoria in physical therapy. And uh, she's married, and these are uh, our kids as they are today. We're finally able to get to see them after two years of not being able to. Um, the next picture... This is where we teach. I've been a professor here since 1999, and Karen is also my fellow professor at this point. I teach New Testament, which is my field. So for example, uh, last term I taught exegesis of the epistles of the Romans. And it's, okay, translate from the Greek to the Spanish. Okay, we'd go around and, and uh, read most of the book of Romans in the original. And I also teach courses that involve Hebrew um, as well. So this is uh, Seminario Asepa. We have about 400 students. About 200 are on the bachelor's level, or 180, let's say. And about 200 are in a Bible certificate level, which is where Karen principally teaches. And then most of my teaching is with about 20 students who are taking master's degrees. And they are training 
to become professors, writers, conference people, um, authors, and so forth. Uh, it's a rigorous program, the one I teach in. They have to um, be proficient at Hebrew and in Greek, um, as well as uh, read English and Spanish. So, um, this is uh, me teaching Greek, I believe, a couple of years ago. And uh, this is Greek 1. So if you can imagine, Greek 1 goes from about 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. every Monday night. Uh, and so it starts off with them knowing nothing. We say, okay, here's the first letter of the alphabet, alpha. The second letter of the alphabet in Greek is beta, gamma, and so forth. And as you can imagine, you know, some of these people have been working all day, and then they traveled in. And so they, they are pretty well um, bedraggled by the time they come to Greek class. And I'll tell them, you know, we're going to go for three hours here, so buckle your seat belts, please. And it's a workout. So um, because we're in Costa Rica, a lot of this is done on the power of local coffee, okay? So when I see, you know, we're going through the Greek and I just see, you know, the pupils starting to dilate or they're getting a little bit fuzzy, it's okay, I just prepared a whole big pot of coffee in the other room. We've got to get some of that down. And this is, this is very typical of Costa Ricans where it is not just the classroom, but it is a time of fellowship among the students and the professor. So we always take a couple of breaks for 15 minutes at a clip where we get together and say, how's your ministry going? What's going on in your life? Or say something funny or tell us, tell us a story about your family. And I would say that this is just typical of teaching in a seminary there. Two, I feel like the staff, my fellow professors are family. They are the people I go to um, when I want to talk about family things. This is uh, my class in Ruth and Esther, and this was a combination class, bachelor's degree, where we studied them from the Spanish Bible. And then for the fourth hour, it was master's degree level, Ruth and Esther, where we read them um, in, in Hebrew and in Greek. So that was a workout. This is, um, I've, been, I've been a writer for many years, and in Costa Rica, I've been writing books since about the year 2003. And I finished a book, somebody would say, would you write another book? I'd write another book, another book, but they weren't coming out, they weren't being published. It was like, you know, the drain was clogged or something. Nobody, no, nobody was printing my books. So all of a sudden, last year and this year, a whole bunch of my books were printed and published. Uh, you can get all of these from Amazon, including my commentary on 1 Corinthians in English and First and Second Thessalonians in English. Um, so it's for six years I've been an editor and a Bible consultant for uh, Wycliffe Associates down in Orlando. And that is that I, I um, give advice and counsel the Bible translators on how best to represent different chapters of the Bible in different languages. In the world today, there are some, something like 7,000 languages, 7,000 and, and a dozen maybe, but something like 2,200 of those do not have any Bible at all in their language. Not a, not a John 3.16, not a Psalm 23.0 no Bible. 
And so um, I help consult with Bible translators so that they can push this work ahead. So I've been doing this for a number of years, and the project, I, you work on different committees and so forth, and um, they say, Gary, if you still want to participate, you want to work on this or that. And then a year and a few months ago, um, the woman who is more or less my manager, Stacy, said, I got a really interesting project for you if you want to do it. What's that? Well, she said, it's the Bible in sun, symbolic universal notation. And she said, what this is, is this is a Bible for people who are both deaf and blind, that they can read with their fingers, um, like Chinese characters and so forth. And so I took a course in Sun. It took me about a month to learn how to read it. It's very, very simple. And there are only 100 basic symbols, characters. And then you can combine characters together to form other words. And then a person can learn the language even though they can't read, um, see, or hear. Or if they are deaf and illiterate, they can also read this language. So this was my final exam. Um, they said, okay, final exam, translate Jonah 1, 8 through 17, or something like this. And so um, it, this was like three hours of sweating profusely, okay? This was a workout. And I translated Jonah in, and they said, well, you've passed the exam, and so I joined on the team where I'm helping to do the final edition of the Old Testament, the, the New Testament they've already published. So this is what it looks like. Um, in verse 8, you see the thing that looks like kind of a wishbone there? Uh, if it's a single one, that means person. And if it's two, it means people. Person, person means people. Um, the next symbol along, which looks like a square, that's a mouth. And so it says, or it can refer to the physical mouth. So this means person, person, mouth. Um, and the next one, to Jonah. And uh, you, why did you do this bad thing toward us? And a deaf and blind person can read that with his or her fingers and get the book of Jonah. So this is, uh, this is uh, a, uh, um, a very painstaking process. And I'm kind of the final reader of the Old Testament. They said, would you just read through the Old Testament top to bottom? And so I've, I've just finished Genesis a few days ago. And... There's a lot of, as we say in billiards, green between me and the pocket as far as finishing up in the book of Malachi. So this is about my fourth hat, third or fourth hat, um, doing uh, teaching, doing writing, doing sun, and then doing some Cuba. Have I left anything out? Okay. Uh, this is my life. Uh, I like to walk. I'm a cook, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so Karen, um, in, in some families, missionary families, the man is kind of the lead missionary and the wife is raising the children. And this is what our lives were like when our kids were small. 
Uh, but then Karen was asked to be a professor at our seminary, and so she and I are co-professors at ASAPA, and um, we, we more or less are both working full-time doing, uh, doing this, uh, these various ministries. Her ministry is entirely different from mine, so I'm going to have her talk to you about it. Uh, the children are somewhere else, right? They're in church, child's ch children's church, right? Okay. So I can speak frankly with the adults then. Um, first of all, before I kind of get into this, I just want to say thank you for your support and your encouragement and your prayers. We could not do this without you. Through COVID, we know missionaries who lost a lot of support because the churches just couldn't keep up with it. And you guys... You guys have been faithful. Um, I know that was hard work on your part, but we're just so grateful. Uh, you, you have been faithful right along, and uh, we, we could not do this without you. Um, about 10 years ago, the seminary asked me if I would start teaching in a new women's ministry program that they were doing on the certificate level. Um, in, in Costa Rica, sixth grade is the only required education. So women my age and older will only have a sixth grade education. That means if they want to learn anything serious about inductive Bible study or pastoral counseling or anything else about the Bible, they have to they have to learn the serious material, but on a sixth grade level educationally. And that's a challenge in its own. So we, we have programs separate for them. And uh, this is some of my, some of my students uh, celebrating graduation at the end. Um, and as I started teaching, I was invited to teach pastoral counseling along with a couple of other courses. Um, one of the statistics that I heard is that 70% of the women in Costa Rica claim that they were sexually assaulted before the age of 18. And some studies indicate that the incidence for boys is the same. And we all know that this is a figure that's underreported, and so we're looking at the, almost everybody has experienced some form of sexual violence, sexual assault. And um, when I heard that, I was confused because I had only once heard the church speaking about it. And I said, so if this is a huge problem and as huge a problem in the church as outside the, problem, outside the church, why are we as a church not speaking up? Why are we not talking about it? Why are women not saying to their daughters, be careful of so-and-so, you know, whatever? So um, if we can move to the next slide, I started asking around to church leadership because by this time, Gary had been involved in training church leaders for 13 years, and I had been you know, by his side, I'd been going to church, I, you know, I was teaching at the seminary by this time. And so church leaders were saying, we know it's a problem, but I don't know what to say or do. So I say and do, next slide please, nothing. Now, that's a problem on a whole lot of levels. One level is that vulnerable people are not protected, okay? And, and that's a huge crisis, that's a huge problem. But there's a deeper spiritual level. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, what we say and do reflects what Jesus would say and do under the exact same circumstances. So when we know of someone being abused in any way and we don't get involved to stop it, 
when we don't speak up against it, we're representing a God who doesn't speak up, doesn't speak up against it, doesn't intervene to stop it, and just lets it happen. That, that can't happen. That's defaming the name of our God when we do nothing. And so God put it on my heart that I needed to get involved and showed me that, my goodness, I'm here training leaders. It's time for me to train leaders about what to say and do in the face of abuse of any kind. So uh, that was the solution that God seemed to present. Okay, then you think they need to be trained? Let's get training. When we were here in 2018, I think that's the next slide. Yes, and when we were here in 2018, we were doing a home assignment, and uh, my prayer request for everybody was, you know, God is leading me to do something about this. I'd already been teaching my students at a SEPA for like seven or eight years, and yet I knew I needed to do more. And so I had been researching and studying. While I was here, I got involved, I got in touch with Christian counselors who work in the area. I went and saw Dr. Diane Langberg and um, asked people for resources. They said, well, what you're looking for doesn't exist. I'm like, okay, so uh, will you help me write it? Uh, you know, I, it's really a great thing you're doing, but I'm kind of busy. So by the end of the year, I said, all right, I, I don't see any other way, but God's, and God's not going to let me off the hook on this because I really would have liked to have been let off the hook. Um, because, you know, I went to seminary, I went to Bible college, and I wasn't trained about what to do about this. So um, by the end of 2018, I said, all right, I don't know what this is going to look like exactly, but I'm going to keep studying, I'm going to keep researching, I'm going to just try to come up with something, and I'm going to trust that God's going to lead me. So next slide, please. End of 2019. By that time, I had done a lot of research. I'd kind of come up with a plan of, of what we as a church, kind of the, you know, capital C, universal church, can do. And um, a friend had made me a logo, and I had come up with a name, Levanta la Voz, because I'm working in Spanish, initially, well, at least down there I am. And uh, Levanta la Voz is from Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, where King Lemuel's mother says to him, you know, basically in quotes, you're going to, now that you're going to be a king, you better speak up for the helpless. That's what you're supposed to do with your power. Help those who can't help themselves. And so levanta la voz means raise your voice, speak up for the helpless. And so that's the name of my group. So here I am, end of 2019. And I said, all right, this is it. I, I would like to take the time to write this beautiful program that, that has all the, everything exactly in place. But I'm concerned that if I do, I'm not going to not ever going to get around to that because I, I would tinker with the details forever. So that's it. 2020, I'm going to start teaching this. So next slide, please. February 2020, I got 12 brave souls, friends of mine in Costa Rica, missionaries, who are willing to come to my house and be guinea pigs for the first course. And I made an eight-week program that would be one lesson a week for three hours, and we would just dive into whatever I thought leaders needed to know. And a lot of it is awareness raising, uh, as well as what we can do to help people who are victims, what we can do to prevent um, abuse in, in all kinds of levels, and then what we as a church can do to kind of reach out in the community on this area. My, my thinking is that this is where so many people are hurting 
And this is where we can apply the gospel. So when we take God's word and we take the gospel and we, we show them how it relates to this problem, then it's going to draw people in. And so that's what I'm, so we started. So next slide is, here's my, my, brave, tw- my, my brave 12 friends who started the course. Now, you know, y'all know the timing of this. This is February, 2020. We got four weeks into it and of course COVID hit, quarantine hit. And so um, I'm like, okay, now what are we gonna do? So a friend gets, gets, calls me out and says, hey, let's do this on Zoom. And I'm like, on what? Yeah, so next slide is me on Zoom teaching my brave 12 souls who are all around, um, who live near me. And when I got, uh, as it was nearing the end, God suddenly woke me up and said, you know, if I can teach this, if I'm teaching this on Zoom anyway, then I can open this up to anybody anywhere. And I don't have to restrict myself to people who are in San Jose, Costa Rica. I can offer this to anybody. And so I did. And so the next slide, immediately I started a second cohort. And I had um, 17, I believe, right? Yeah. So, so now I had 17 students. But look where they're spread around. They're all around the world, literally, uh, including one friend of mine in Quakertown up here. And so we ran it again in English, gave me a chance to work some kinks out, start working on a workbook. And um, when that was done, then I'm like, well, you know, if we're shooting for the world, let's do it in Spanish. That was my original goal anyway. So um, translated it, took a month, a couple of months to do that. And then next slide, I had 60 people around the world that I was teach, training in Spanish. Uh, one of our supporting churches gave, us 2000, gave me $2,000 to do some translating and I was able to get my workbook actually professionally translated so that my students could actually um, download this digital book and have something that looked a little more professional than it had before that. And, um, And so then, that has continued to spread. I said to Esepa, hey, um, we need a whole program on this. So if you'll let me write it, I'll run it for you. And so starting in February 2021, um, we started a, a, a certificate level program at our seminary. And again, I have people around the world who are taking this. It's a nine-month program and um, got a couple of other people to help me teach it. And so we're teaching fun things like pseudo-theological lies that are used to justify abuse. And uh, that was one of the courses that a friend of, a friend of mine wrote. And so, um, so now we're doing this. I have a second seminary. So next slide, please. So now here I find myself this year. Um, I am doing this work in four different organizations. Uh, Two of them are Spanish seminaries, and so I'm doing it in Spanish, um, as well as two organizations in English where I'm on the child safety team, or I'm actually creating and writing resources for a whole organization that works in child safety for mission agencies and international Christian schools. And so um, God has certainly answered that prayer from three years ago when I said, what do you want me to do with this? Um, It's basically kind of come down to teach anybody who will listen, teach it for free, write resources, and give them away for free. So my next goal is to get a website up and running so that I can take whatever I have, put it there, and that way it really has access. Anybody anywhere has access to it, can translate it, and, and all that sort of thing. And I want to leave you with an example of what happened in that, in that third cohort that I taught a year ago. Um, 
one of my Spanish-speaking students, I was in Costa Rica, remember, and she was a Costa Rican who was ministering in Spain. So she's taking the course from Spain, and while she's taking, while she's learning from me, she's teaching some young women in another country, she didn't tell me what country it was in South America. She's mentoring these young women what I'm teaching her about all this. The women are telling their parents, and their parents are telling the, the leaders of their denomination. The denomination leaders are so convicted that they need to begin finding ways and utilizing the things that I'd been teaching in order to protect the children in their organizations, that they got a team together of psychologists and lawyers and so forth to start writing their own child protection policy for their own organization. And when the non-Christian local leaders found out about it, they went to these church leaders and they said, guys, we, are, we heard what you're doing, we're so excited, we are behind you 100%. If there's anything you need, please let us know. Now, mind you, these are the secular leaders, okay, of the, of the area. And, uh, and they said, you know, any resources you need, you let us know, we'll get them to you. And, you know, we're, we're really intrigued because usually churches hide this kind of stuff. And what's happening, you're not doing that. You're actually leading the way to speak up against this and to actually step out and help people and protect people and work with victims. We're just so excited to see that. Now, do you see what's happening there? The name of Jesus was lifted out of the gutter from people doing nothing or worth hiding what they know to a Jesus who is actively protecting the vulnerable, who is actively speaking out and who is telling his body that we're supposed to do the same. Before we leave today, I'd like to share a little portion from God's Word. Uh, we're not in too great a rush, I assume, and I will keep it to the point. Um, I'll have you turn to Mark chapter 12. This is during the Holy Week, a day or two after Palm Sunday, in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, 
O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This was a common question in Jesus' day. Rabbis would ask each other, what do you think the most important commandment in all the law of Moses is? And they didn't always come up with the same answers. Some rabbis said, well, observe the Sabbath day is the most important commandment of all. And others had different opinions. But in fact, some rabbis would have come up with the same answer that Jesus has. Uh, obviously, love the Lord your God is the most important commandment. There were something like 613 commandments in the law of Moses. So sift through them. What do you think? They're all important. We have to obey all of them. But which is the one that's the priority? The one we should really focus in on? Um, and this is it. Love the Lord your God with all your being. So as a missionary, sometimes people are asking, well, why don't you preach on a missionary passage? You know, it's going to be Matthew 28 or Acts 1-8 or something. That's what all missionaries preach on. And terrific, and this is what we should do. However, I'm of the belief that if the greatest commandment for all Christians is to love God with all their being, then this is a really very strong missionary passage as well, that this is what the missionary does first and foremost is love the Lord, his or her God, with all their being, and love your neighbor as yourself, beyond which there are no greater commandments. So the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your being. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to ask the question this morning, do we really believe that Jesus got this right. Let's look at this first. The second commandment, love your neighbor, is good. But it's second according to Jesus. Love God has to be first, and then love your neighbor is second. Vitally important, but so is the order I say this because the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is one in which many Christians resonate with, um, where they have some sort of a second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, crusade, um, uh, missions. I mean, that's, that's my crusade. I have a cause. Uh, Bible translation, that's another cause of mine. Karen obviously has a cause, as you've just heard. And if you look at other people, they will say, well, um, Christian education is our cause, or political or cultural activism is our cause, or pro-life work, all of which I'm saying are fine. Um, these are great second commandment manifestations, but it only works if we do the second commandment as the second commandment and the first commandment first you ask some Christians, what do you believe in? What is, what is the thing you're working toward? And they'll talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, and sure, they love the Lord. But you ask them about their second commandment crusade, and now their eyes light up. Now their blood is pumping. My point is, is that second commandment, love your neighbor action, clearly and directly must flow from your love for God. Otherwise, we're getting things out of order, and otherwise, we're not following the commandments the way Jesus says. 
Otherwise, we're saying something lame like, well, I must love the Lord because just look at all the stuff that I do every week. Let's take that, we'll flip it upside down. It's also true that if you don't do the second commandment, then you're really not doing the first commandment either. If you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, then this is a revelation that your love for God is shallow or non-existent. John put it very, very simply in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, he's talking about the horizontal, loving your neighbor. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you truly love God, and if you truly rank that as the most important commandment, you will love your neighbor. The two commandments are different. There's one vertical, loving God, horizontal, love another, but they never show up alone. Uh, Everywhere you see the first commandment, the second commandment is standing right by. And every time you see the second commandment done properly, love for God is always right there too. People today, unfortunately, use God language to neglect the second commandment. I know um, a person, somebody you'll never meet, whose name you'll never know or recognize, but I know a person who is um, constantly talking about the love she has for God, the love she has for Jesus, and so on and so forth. And she's also perhaps the cruelest person I've ever met. People who use Bible verses not to edify and not to, not to correct, but, but as weapons to harm um, it's almost as if she looks up Bible verses and thinks, what is the most painful thing I can stick somebody else with? In Luke 10, an expert in the law came up with a similar kind of a, an issue. He says, um, well, loving God and loving your neighbor, obviously are the top commandments. Jesus says, yeah, do these and you will live. And the expert in the law says, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered his question with, a, with another question. He told the story of the Good Samaritan. And, well, who was, who was the good neighbor in this story? The man who helped um, the victim of the robbery. In Jesus' day, rabbis typically took a very, very narrow view of what it means to love your neighbor. Because they would say, well, neighbor means Jewish people, other Israelites, and Israelites in good standing with the Lord, so that narrows it down further. And uh, Israelites who belong to my group and not to the other group and so forth. So they took the strictest definition possible. Um, other Israelites whom I approve of. Where Jesus takes the whole thing, who's my neighbor, and he says, well, you know, this good Samaritan comes along and he loves his neighbor. And we have to remember that uh, the Samaritans were not simply at odds with the Jews. We all kind of know that. We've heard that in church. No, um, the, the Samaritans performed terrorist acts against Jewish people. And Jewish people did terrorist acts in return. 
So this is not a person of another denomination. This is a person who is a member of ISIS or something coming along and saying, oh my goodness, I, I need to help this person. And apparently is reflecting something that's in his heart, that he, he has true love for God. If we take the broadest definition of my neighbor, like Jesus did, um, I think that clearly indicates that the Muslim is my neighbor. Um, people of other races are my neighbor. The Jews are my neighbor. And I'm sad to see, it seems like anti-Semitism is coming, having a comeback in our country. People who speak other languages, people of other skin tones, people who push for gay and lesbian rights are my neighbor. And so Jesus says, well, uh, who is my neighbor, expert in the law? The, the real question is, who isn't your neighbor? Take the broadest definition possible and go with that. Now you're doing right. We are saying that if you're not doing the second commandment, you're probably not doing the first commandment either because one flows from the other. We are typically out of the country for three years at a clip and we come back and you might think, well, there's culture shock when we go to Costa Rica. No, I've lived in Costa Rica for 23 years. That is home to me now. That's my culture. And um, it is when we come back to the United States that I get culture shock. Um, for example, do people use Easy Pass? Do you know what I mean by Easy Pass? What kind of a Rubik's Cube is it to charge your Easy Pass? I think it's only in the state of Pennsylvania. Or it seems like it takes me an hour to, to figure out how to get the thing recharged every time we're in the States. Culture shock. You know, you go into Wawa and everything, you have to order a sandwich on a screen now? That's cool, but it's different. That's weird. You know, it's Jetson Wawa stuff here. So things are, things are confusing. And uh, it's, uh, the culture is different. People speak English and so forth. That's nice, but it's, it is a shock. This time I am in culture shock in 2021 because I keep running across American Christians on social media literally threatening violence to people they disagree with or using language that I haven't used, full disclosure, since middle school against their enemies. Pastors even doing these things. What culture shock that causes. So apparently, people are taking the first commandment and saying, I love God. Therefore, because I love God, I have the right, I have the responsibility to rain fire down upon God's enemies. To own, then, is the word that I keep coming across. Therefore, whatever I'm doing should not be construed as a violation of the second commandment because everything I'm doing um, is flowing from my love for God. And therefore, in effect, the more furious I am toward other people, the more it shows that I love the Lord. Whereas the scripture says, no, if you're, not, if you're not doing the second commandment in some clear, visible fashion, don't, don't claim that you do the first commandment on top of that. 
John himself says this in 1 John 4, a little bit later on from the passage I read. Uh, Anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And that's other Christians, his brother, his sister. But, uh, I mean, John is following the great teacher here who said, your neighbor, any, any person who's neighbor, especially the fellow Christian, but anybody else here on the planet Earth. So two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your being, love your neighbor as yourself. My question, original question is, does Jesus Christ get the order right? Was he correct by giving us um, these two top priorities? And here is the math section of this little talk. And normally this is the point where my students groan and say, you said there would be no math on the exam. Well, or it's easy math because I'm going to walk you through it. The math section says first is first, it has to be first. Second is second, it has to be second. Um, second flows from first, first demands second. Okay, there's your, there's your correct math. But there's bad math as well. In the study of physics, I, I had to look this up because I, I really didn't know this. In the study of physics, there are, if you've ever studied this, three laws of thermodynamics. Anybody know of these? Yeah. Okay, three laws of thermodynamics. Very, very important. In order to understand anything, you have to kind of build with those blocks. And so those were the laws that went on for a long time. And then there was a brilliant physicist in the 1950s, and he said, you know, The three laws, one, two, and three, those are the top laws. But I have just discovered that there's another principle that you have to assume before number one. Otherwise, you can't go from one to two to three. And he said that the nuisance is we've already numbered them. And I'm not going to call this new principle number one and then just bump everything down one to two, two to three, three to four, because everybody's just going to get confused. And so he said, I'm going to invent a new adjective, uh, the word zeroth. And if any of you are science fiction fans, as I have been, Isaac Asimov also used the word zeroth in his uh, literature about robot, robots. Zeroth. So he said, before you, under, before you accept one, you've got you to figure out the zeroth commandment. That's great for physics, and let's just hope that he, he doesn't discover another one where we have zeroth plus one, zeroth plus two, something like this, no. Um, my suggestion is that there is no zeroth commandment that we have to figure out before the first commandment. And I'm not, I'm not, a t- accept, I'm not talking about accepting Christ as your savior or anything, because this is the given, okay? The question was, what are the two great commandments out of the law of Moses? The 613. Love God, love your neighbor. There is no prior commandment to number one. There is no zeroth commandment. There is no commandment point five. Uh, There is no one half commandment. And then you can uh, work on number one. No. But people... If I'm hearing them correctly, are stating or 
implying maybe with the tone of their voice, I'm not sure, maybe I'm mistaken. But people seem to be implying that before these first two commandments, love God, love, love your neighbor, some other box must be checked. Some other priority must be done. I'm going to mention some things, things you may like, things you do not like. My point is they are not the first commandment. We need to have solid family values. Then we can talk about loving God with all our being. Um, or we, uh, we have to create a cultural or political environment. Or we have to get this politician out of office or this politician into office. Then we can talk about really buckling down and loving God and our neighbor. Um, uh, we, we have to be, am I using this word correctly, woke? We have to be woke, then we can love God, but hold on. Or we have to be unwoke, and then we can talk about loving God. Or first we have to be anti-woke. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, um, I've been out of the country too, so maybe I'm not using it right. In effect, what we're doing when we're saying that is that Jesus, well, he lived in a simpler time. First century, you could say, yeah, the first thing is number one, but life is complicated today. And there's some, some other thing that must be done, some other zeroth then we can really work on loving God. My impression is when you read the scriptures, if you've accepted the gospel, is that we're never going to want to be in a position where we're saying Jesus didn't get it quite right, didn't express himself well, or uh, is mistaken. My assumption as a Christian is that he was right because he's the son of God and giving us the revelation from the Father. In a couple of days after him saying this about the two great commandments, may I suggest that he demonstrated his full commitment to both of those commandments, loving God with all of his being, loving his neighbor as himself, therefore I will go to the cross in obedience to the Father to pay for the sins of those who will come to me. So, Love God, develop an intimate relationship with him, and there you could spend the rest of this year talking about what that's like. Then love, logically love your neighbor as yourself, flowing from that, spending time with the neighbor, um, learning about them, putting yourself in their shoes, loving them and seeing them as God does. And both these things, both commandments done in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through the power of the Holy Spirit alone gives us the ability to do these things. Let's pray. Grant us in all our doubts and uncertainties, O Lord, the grace to ask what you would have us to do, that the spirit of wisdom may save us from all false choices, and that in your light we may see your light, and in your straight path may not stumble. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.